Hi, good afternoon. Welcome back. The topic of this panel is the action steps four through nine. My name is Debbie. I am a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. The speakers are Barbara and Don. This session is being interpreted into French. If you require interpretation, please click on the interpretation symbol and choose French. We also have closed captioning available. Click on the live transcript. Let us open with the serenity prayer. Take a deep breath. Let it out. God, God. grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This session will feature two speakers who will speak for up to 20 minutes each. After that, the attendees will be able to ask questions of the speaker. The audio of this session is being recorded and will not be edited. Please note that the session will be available online or as a podcast feed. As you have noticed, this is a webinar view only. Attendings are automatically muted. Attendings are not visible to each other or to the people on the panel. Only the panelists are visible. Please use the Q&A function to ask your questions of the panelists. Use chat for supportive comments. We ask that you, what you see here and hear here be kept confidential, that there be no recordings or screen captures. Please respect the anonymity of anyone who attends. For our speakers, the timer will have a signal when five minutes remain and when the time has elapsed. Remember that you are speaking in French. Please speak slowly. Our first speaker is Barb. Thank you for doing this service. My pleasure. Hi, everybody. My name is Barbara Kay. I'm a compulsive overeater coming to you from Lexington, Massachusetts. I'm going to start with a very brief qualification just to tell you how I, a little bit of my background. So I discovered OA in 1973 in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles. I was just out of college. I was staying with my sister's sister-in-law and I made the big mistake for a compulsive overeater. I ate something that was homemade and could not be easily replaced. And in despair, because I was sure she would be mad at me, I just didn't know what to do. And the solution I had, because I had tried various things to control my compulsive eating, none of which worked, I went to a walk-in counseling center and I told the counselor my tale of woe and all of the things I had tried and failed. And the thing she said to me is, well, there's only one other thing I know about and I'm not sure I recommend it because of this God thing. And that was OA. Now, after that far from enthusiastic introduction, somehow I found myself at a meeting the next day. And with a very brief hiatus, I've been coming ever since. And I'm so grateful for that. Now, I date my current abstinence from about August 30th of 1975. So that's 46 years of continuous abstinence done at a day at a time with the help of this program, lots of help of this program. But as miraculous as that is for somebody who couldn't stay on a diet for three days, the other part of the miracle is that I am not somebody who is completely out of control in all other areas of my life when you take away my substance, when you take away my food. And that's because I'm now someone who doesn't need to overeat compulsively in order to get through life. I'm not fighting to stay abstinent. Believe me, there's no way in the world that I could do that for 46 years. Instead, I've been transformed. And that transformation has come through working the steps not necessarily the first time through, but through a repeated application of what we are offered in the 12-step program of recovery. And I think that these steps, steps four through nine, are critical to that process. So I'm gonna speak to that. Um, Okay, so with that in mind, I wanna talk a little bit more directly about the steps that we're here to discuss today, steps four through nine. 
So the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me that I have to remove from myself the things that block me. And it doesn't say that direct, directly, but it's implied definitely that what it blocks me from is what they, the term they use is the sunlight of the spirit. There's a quote um, from the Voices of Recovery I really like that was recent that really speaks well to this point. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read what that says. It was from October 9th. It goes, the fourth through ninth steps led me to scoop out the garbage of my past from my spirit. Once that was gone, there was room for light, my spirit along with my higher power. So it's getting rid of all of that crap, all of that garbage that was in my way. And I think that that's really lovely, a beautiful way to put it. And I certainly want that. So, but what are the blocks, right? If I take them away, I'm gonna have this sunlight of the spirit, but what are the blocks? And I've heard them referred to by lots of different words in OA, you know, the most common is defects of, you know, maladjustments, uh, manifestations of my ego. Um, most of them to me sound pretty negative. So the one I like the best now, because one thing that's happened through my recovery is I think I've gotten a little kinder and gentler is something introduced to me by someone. And it is basically coping mechanisms that no longer serve me. They once did, they once were crucial to my survival, but now they're more harmful to me than they are beneficial and I need to be rid of them. So I get rid of them through this process of working the steps and the action steps are really important. Steps four through seven help me identify what these things are, at least to the best of my ability and to get to a place where I'm ready to have my higher power take them away along with a whole bunch of you know, old misguided ideas about myself and the world. You know, having worked these steps, enough of this stuff has been removed that I now have some spiritual clarity. And what that looks like in my life is I have more peace and serenity. I have much more of a sense of who I am and what's important to me, what I value in life, what my you know, moral compass is. Um, I can listen to other people and I want to, I don't just listen to myself. I have much more self-esteem and acceptance. And I know to tune into that inner voice that to me is the voice of my higher power. The thing is that that voice needs to be cultivated. I need to learn to listen to it. And the voice of my disease, the one that screams in my ears um, is much, much louder. So I need to apply the work of these steps and the program over and over and over to be able to keep that voice tamped down. I don't think that head voice ever goes away, but I was told that I can learn to stop listening and I can turn down the volume so that I can hear that more inner spiritual voice. Now, mostly now I live in steps 10, 11 and 12. You know, I've been doing this for many, many, many years but I am far from done. I don't believe there's graduation here. You know, there's always new life circumstances. There's always things that throw me off base, but I do have 10, 11, and 12 to keep me going. And occasionally I do a deeper dive back to some of the earlier steps. Sometimes I know when that's needed. Sometimes I don't. And when I don't, I go to sponsors, program friends, you know, other people. I now have a network of support that I'm really grateful for. So all that being said, how did I specifically work each of those steps? So for me, the most crucial thing was first I had to put down the food. And I did that using steps one, two, and three in a very rudimentary way and working the tools that allowed me to put the food in its place. Now, I had to do that before I was able to work the action steps at all. There are other people who do it the other way. I know that I'm not saying my way is right. I'm just saying my way was crucial for me. I need to stay abstinent to do any step work because the food just, like I said, the food, when I, if I'm in the food, that voice is just out of control. I can't hear anything else and I can't focus on anything else. I have no clarity whatsoever. Now there's been times when I've idealized ways of working the steps. You know, I'll hear someone in a meeting or in a conference like this and They'll say how they work their steps in this very orderly and systematic way with one sponsor. And I think, gee, that sounds good. But that was not at all my experience. 
I worked the steps through a whole mishmash of things cobbled together from the literature, from people, from things I heard in meetings, from things I heard in AA meetings, from you know all kinds of things. I didn't have one sponsor consistently. We didn't even have our own literature in those days. We used AA literature. We had AA speakers in meetings. But looking back, even though it wasn't the way that I thought I should work the steps, or even the way I might necessarily recommend to someone else, it turned out to be absolutely perfect for me, looking back. And so I will explain how that happened a little more with each of the steps in turn. But that doesn't mean because I did it in a more kind of, I don't wanna use haphazard fashion because that makes it sound like it was loosey-goosey and it wasn't, excuse me, Guy, I don't know if you can translate loosey-goosey, but you know, erratic fashion in a way. But that doesn't mean I didn't work very hard. I happen to have some of my key coping mechanisms that no longer serve me is being a perfectionist, being a fearful person and being a people pleaser. And those three things combined to keep me working very hard because I wanted to please the people in OA. I wanted to be an, a perfect little OA student. And those things kept me working very hard until more deep motivations took over. And now I do this work because I can't see living any other way of life. And I want to keep growing in this spiritual path that I found here in OA. And I also want to keep free of my addiction. I know I'll mention the big book a little bit in this share. And I just wanna say that I don't think the big book is the only way to go in this program. It's not the only thing that I use, but in general, the big book does speak to me um, despite some of the archaic language and the cultural references that are very out of date because it to me really lays out the disease and the recovery process in a way that's very simple. And more specifically, I like the big book way of doing the fourth step of taking inventory. And I've used it a lot in 10th step work, but here's one of the places where there's that difference between my ideal and my experience. I did not take my fourth step that way. And let me explain why. So I had a lot of trouble doing the fourth step. My perfectionism got in the way and also the depth of my woundedness. Um, I couldn't do the big book type of inventory for at least two years because I was so out of touch with myself. I couldn't even begin to know who I was angry at and what I was afraid of. So I tried these various little ways to do it and I would start writing and nothing seemed good enough and I would tear it up and throw it away and I was getting nowhere. And luckily my sponsor at the time intervened. And what she had me do was she said, I want you to write something every day for 30 days. But the catch was that I had to put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it and stick it in a physical mailbox, no, no email in those days and mail it to her every day by midnight. And I did that. Once I started writing, the floodgates opened. I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And a lot of things came up that were very scary to me but I persisted and just made sure to do that. So one of the things I had to do, I remember one day, I actually went to a meeting and sat on the floor in the hallway right outside the meeting room so that I could work on my inventory because that's what I needed to do to feel safe to continue writing. And after those 30 days, I had covered the territory. I had written about everything. I was repeating myself, which is how I knew that I had covered it all. Now I thought that I would just turn my fifth over to my sponsor. But what happened is when I finished those 30 days, she called me and asked me to meet her in a coffee shop, which I did. And she walked in carrying this big envelope full of all of the writings I had done and basically told me that she didn't feel comfortable taking my fifth step. So I was left literally holding the bag and didn't know what to do. But that led me to ask someone else to hear my fifth, which also was against my plan but turned out to be the absolute perfect thing for me. And in fact, the person who did hear my fifth step became a later sponsor. I first did six and seven in a very perfunctory superficial way. I was asked to speak at a meeting on those steps and you had to have done them. So I kind of did them in a few days, very quick and dirty. I've taken a much deeper dive on those later on. And in fact, if anything, I go back to those more regularly than some others. My current sponsor 
is big on those steps and refers me back to them. And I can hear her voice in my head, you know, when I say, well, this is never gonna change. You can take that to six and seven, dear. I've also done that exercise of writing what they do to me and for me in recent years. And at the suggestion of a program friend, I wrote my own seven step prayer, which I used daily asking for some things to be removed. But no matter how I've done those steps, what I've discovered is that some things disappear like magic and other things persist. Some things go away and come back. Some things just diminish in intensity. I've had a couple of experiences of having really big things completely disappear. And the most important was something that was really what I, you has as the background narrative of my whole life. My parents divorced when I was eight. My father stopped seeing me when I was 10. And I was told by my mother that it was because I was too demanding. And I took from that, that I couldn't ask for anything because I didn't know what that line was of where you'd be abandoned. And that belief ruled me for decades. And through the process of working the steps, it is gone. I can now ask for help. I can ask for other things. I don't care if somebody leaves me because of it. I'm really free of that. And I consider that really miraculous. In step eight, making the list of people I'd harmed was the easy part, um, except for being the kind of person with low self-esteem that I was, I put a bunch of people on the list that didn't really need to be there. But the hard part is coming to willingness, really coming to the willingness to make the amends. And sometimes that involves a lot of prayer and talking and writing and praying again some more to get rid of the hurt and get to a point of forgiveness. But in addition to forgiveness, I had to really let go of my shame and deal with it. And shame is very deep for me because the shame about acknowledging that I'd done something wrong that I needed to make amends for leads me to self-righteousness and self-justification, you know, to say, well, yeah, you know, I did this, but they did that, you know, or something. So why do I have to apologize? And I have to let go of all that before I can really, with an open heart, approach someone else. Barbara, five yeah. minutes, five oh, minutes. Dear. Okay, my amends not only involved individuals, I had to make amends to businesses. Um, I was involved in receiving some shoplifted goods and I had to go to the store and confess. And they didn't say they're their nice girl. They took me in a back room and fingerprinted me, which was scary and humiliating, but very freeing as well. Um, you know, I don't do things like that today. I live honestly to the best of my ability in all areas. And I do my best to not create what I call wreckage of the present because I know that I will have to work it. So in the couple minutes I have left, I want to talk about a, two amends experiences I had because just like in the seventh step, I feel like my higher power steps in and does for me what I can't do for myself. And just like in, in the seventh step, I don't always know what the issues are. I don't know what needs to be removed. That's been true with the ninth step too. I take the action, my higher power steps in and helps. So the first one was with an aunt, my father's sister. And I'd not been close to her, but I liked her and I had turned against her for a number of reasons I can't get into. And she came and visited nearby where I was living and asked to see me and I turned her down. And it was through doing my inventory work, I, I realized that was not a nice thing to do and I wanted to apologize for it. I wrote her an amends letter. And what I got back was a letter from a lawyer saying she had left me a small bequest, um, which really pained me because I was feeling this way towards her. But the miracle came in the facts of things that happened later. So I couldn't bring myself to tell my mother about it. My mother was very problematic, you know, had lots of problems and was always in crisis. And through the process of not being able to tell my mother about my aunt's death, I came to a deep understanding of the people who did not tell me when my father died, because I was not in contact with him. And I was able to really heal that deep resentment in a way that I would not have anticipated. The second one was a friend who had been a roommate who I had hurt and apologized to in a very perfunctory way before, and my apology was rejected. So I was afraid to approach her. And as I prayed for willingness, 
I ran into her in a very unexpected way when I was out with an OA friend. I was taught in the program that a coincidence is a miracle in which God chooses to remain anonymous. And that's what this was. And so I walked into this restaurant. I saw her there when I was going for a cup of coffee, made my amends. She and I are best friends today. Our families are deeply intertwined. You know, I would not have the richness and depth and love of this relationship in my life today if it was not for the ninth step. So just to kind of sum it up, you know, I often say to my sponsees that I'm in the action business, but my higher power is in the results business. And I learned that here. Nothing I say is original. Everything I say, I heard from someone else. And I really believe that. I believe that with all of these steps, you know, but the the catch is I have to work it as hard as I can. I have to put in a serious and sustained effort to the best of my ability. And sometimes my ability is limited. Other times it's more there. But I've seen over and over again in my recovery that my higher power steps in when I take those actions. And that's when the miracles happen. I've shared a few of them with you. I have many more of those kinds of stories. So if that sounds good to you, um, I wish you that kind of recovery as well. But I know that each one of us can find the way of working these steps that resonates with them. And you'll hear a different way from Don. And we both have many, many years of recovery in this program, doing it the way that we found that worked best for us. So I really hope you heard something today, either from me or that you hear from Don, that you can take home with you that can help you in your process of recovery. And that's it for me today. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Don? Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. My name is Don, compulsive eater and food addict. Uh, thank you, Barbara. And also that very last point that you made, there is no one right way. It's a matter of what works best. So you shared your experience. I'm going to share my experience and how it works for me and how I've worked it uh, over the years. So. As I said, I'm a compulsive eater, food addict. Uh, I came to OA at age 41 in pretty bad shape. I usually say I was suicidal, grossly obese, and a bitter, angry atheist. So I came. I've never left. I've been here 39 years. This June was 37 years of abstinence, uh, maintaining about 185-pound weight loss now for many years. Freedom from the obsession for me came gradually as I worked the steps in that first year, 1982. There was a personality change and that's really the focus of, of my talk today. A major rebuilding of my thinking that would eventually take me to the place where I no longer needed to use food as a drug. So I learned a new way of eating, a new way of thinking, and slowly formed a relationship with a power greater than myself. In other words, my personality was really rebuilt, just as it talks about in Appendix 2 of the big book. I was given a second chance at life. Living the design for living, uh, laid out in the steps and traditions and tools, I call them 12, and 12, 12, 12, and 9 is my usual expression. Living those has carried me through many of life's challenges. Uh, death of my parents, my own and others' diseases, divorce, the disappointments in life we all face, elimination of my job, ultimately ending in early retirement. And now here I am at age 80, learning to live with canes and walkers, which is not a lot of fun. I have a, a, a placard on the shelf behind me that says, life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. And programmers showed me how to do that, with or without an umbrella. So the program didn't change the world around me. It simply taught me how to deal with the realities uh, of the world. Let's talk about four through nine. As an atheist, my surrender in step three was simply a decision to cooperate with a new set of ideas. In other words, the rest of the steps. So in a sense, I signed an unwritten contract to work the rest of the steps. My higher power was the steps, although I didn't quite understand it then. I didn't call it that, but that's really what was going on. My sponsor kept saying, you don't need to understand it, Don, just do it. 
I identified my self-destructive foods in step one. Now in steps four and five, I need to identify the self-destructive thinking that leads to the feelings that because I have the disease leads me to the first bite, which sets up the addiction cycle described in the doctor's opinion. Thinking, feelings, obsession, first bite, out of control eating, guilt and shame, resolutions, never to do it again. And I might not for a while until those self-destructive thinking leads me back to the feelings that start the cycle all over again. I argued endlessly in the beginning about being an addict. Who ever heard of food addiction? That is totally crazy. Eventually I came to accept that if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, it's probably a duck. Well, I was a duck. So food was the symptom. Certain foods are mood altering substances for me. If I don't pick up the first bite of that trigger food, the compulsion doesn't start. That means my thinking is the problem because it's the thinking that leads to the feelings that start the cycle. So the real issue is between my ears and it's up to me to do something about that. The process for me is identifying the self-destructive thinking in four and five, defining the solutions in six and seven, and then with higher powers help, start practicing those solutions. So I see my life today as a partnership with God. I'm in charge of actions. God's in charge of results, as Barbara said. He'll give me the strength and courage to practice these new ways of thinking and behaving until, guess what? I become a new me, free from the bondage of my food addiction. So free, that is, as long as I keep doing what I need to do every day. But that's 10, 11, and 12, which will be talked about in a later workshop. So in four and five, I studied the long list of self-destructive traits mentioned in the big book. Remember, this was 82. There was no OA literature to speak of. I studied the long list of self-destructive traits mentioned in the big book and the AA 12 and 12. And these were my obstacles to clear thinking, is the way somebody phrased it, and calmly dealing with life. So I counted, I think, 27, 28, something like that at that point. I had to go beyond the examples of fear and resentment and sex given in chapter five of the big book. And Bill himself notes in the AA 12 and 12, which was written after 14 years of experience with the big book, quote, unquote, quote, human beings are never quite alike. So each of us, when making an inventory, will need to determine what his individual character defects are. That's out of the AA 12 and 12, page 48. Let me give you a few examples of the thinking flaws that I found and then say what I did about them in six and seven. So some examples. One, self-centeredness. I imposed expectations, shoulds and oughts on people and on myself. Like the stage actor in the big book, I wrote the script in my head for the way things ought to be for you and for me. And if others would simply think and behave as I think they should, then I would be happy and they would be happy and everything would be great. The problem is, of course, the world doesn't follow my scripts. So I was always frustrated. Another thing was blaming and self-pity. It's all their fault. I have the wrong spouse, the wrong parents, the wrong kids, the wrong education, the wrong job. Poor me, poor me, poor me. So blaming was really useful in looking back because it kept me from looking at my own part in things. Fear was another one. Fear of what might happen. Fear of conflict. Fear of criticism. Fear of failure. Fear of not good enough. Fear of being old, sick, poor, and alone. I didn't know in the beginning that most fears are learned and therefore can be unlearned. A very, very big lesson for me. Fears can be unlearned. Uh, another example, funniness. If you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. Therefore, I was constantly be pretending to be what I thought 
would make you like me. So I was always looking for strokes. Another one was perfectionism, setting standards for myself impossible to meet, thereby dooming myself to always feel less than or a failure. Wanting to have everything nicely aligned, life in all neat stacks, all projects completed at the end of the day, everything nice and orderly. Perfection, by the way, is driven by fear. Um, some, some, some other examples of wrong thinking that came to me from my childhood. For example, my worth is dependent upon what others think of me. That's what I was raised with. Not true. I need everyone's approval to be okay. Not true. Self-sufficiency is a virtue. Asking for help is weakness. Not true. I am a prisoner of my culture. I'll never be able to change. Not true. And my pain is caused by other people. So I have little ability to control my feelings. Not true. I am in charge of how I feel. Step five for me was a remarkable experience. Uh, several things happened. Uh, I'll give you four or five examples and then move on to six and seven where I want to spend more time. Step five kind of validated that I had taken my inventory and not my spouse's or my mother's or somebody else's. It also was a cleansing for me. Uh, it was the first time in my life at age 41 that I had ever been 100% honest with another human being. Step five was also the beginning of that wall coming down that I talked about. The wall that I had built around myself to keep from getting hurt again, from letting anyone in, from being vulnerable. Step five was also a little like rejoining the human race, which I think is a phrase someplace in the literature. I had always felt alone, even in a crowd. I learned I was human in the fifth step and therefore make mistakes. I didn't need to hide out. I could in fact participate in life. Step five, more importantly, most importantly, perhaps, was the beginning of self-acceptance and self-forgiveness. I didn't need to be perfect to be okay. And I didn't understand it then, but as I look back, I can see step five was the beginning of a very long spiritual journey from atheism to where I am now. Step six and seven, I came out of the fifth step with three lists. One was the assets, one was the key defects to work on in six and seven, and, uh, in, and also as a preliminary, a preliminary list of uh, step nine amends. So in six and seven, what I'm going to do, what I did and worked on then and still keep working on today, is I'm going to begin replacing my self-destructive thinking with healthy and productive thinking and acting. This is the core of my recovery, that personality transformation that I talked about, making a new life. My old sponsor used to say, Don, you know, your, you, your brain needs rewired. And I said, I think you're right, right? There is no magic wand that's going to touch me and transform me. So I see six and seven, uh, this transformation as a cooperative venture with my higher power. My higher power will help me, but I must do the footwork and show I'm willing to work at becoming all my higher power intends me to be. We're partners. My job in six and seven is to identify and start practicing the new thinking and acting. I've come to believe that I act my way into right thinking, not think my way into right acting. So I think of six and seven in simplistic terms as a two-column chart. On the left column, in the left column, is the defects I identified in four. And on the right column is the solution to each of those defects, the things that I need to work on. Let me give you some concrete examples for my own six and seven step. Uh, controlling and expectations that, control, that, uh, that I talked about in step four. Well, my job, practice letting go of putting expectations on others. Practice, stop, stop imposing shoulds and oughts. Stop writing scripts in my head for how things are supposed to go. 
accept what can and what cannot be changed, accept my human limitations and others' human limitations. I'm not in charge. I'm not God. I can't control others, but I can control my reactions to others. Blaming. Remember, I blamed everybody. So practice taking responsibility for myself and my actions, past and present. How I feel is, in fact, up to me. I'm not a prisoner of my past or what I think others think of me. So it's time to grow up, I said, my sponsor said, and I still have to work on this, grow up and take responsibility for myself. False pride and phoniness I talked about. Practice being who I am rather than being what I think will get me approval or applause or keep me out of conflict. Go ahead and make myself a little vulnerable. Anger and resentment. Practice acceptance of what is. Practice forgiveness of myself and others. Practice our slogan, live and let live. Remember that resentment, anger and resentment, is poison to me. I cannot uh, afford to have those are in me. Fear in general. Well, practice faith, even if may for a long time I was only acting as if, practice faith in a higher power, and eventually faith will displace fear. Cultivate people and places that nurture my soul and build my faith. Fear of failure, maybe the big one. Well, my old sponsor said, it doesn't make any difference if you're afraid, you do it anyway. So the plan here is practice courage, practice doing it anyway, practice just doing it. Fear vanishes as I do things I'm afraid to do. Excessive concern about what others think of me? Well, you know, practice knowing that my worth is based upon what I think of me, not what others think of me. Do things in my life that allow me to respect myself. Don, Perfectionism. Don, five you. minutes. Thank you. Perfectionism, practice believing that I'm not a mistake because I make a mistake. I am human. I cannot do everything perfectly. So to summarize six and seven, I identify the solutions to each of my shortcomings and begin practicing the new ways. God, with my cooperation and willingness, will eventually transform my character defects into assets. That is my experience. So I show God I'm willing to change by practicing the new thinking and the behaviors. Now, there's an old Russian proverb that we see in our For, For Today book, trust God to get you to shore, but keep rowing. Well, six and seven for me are about a lifetime of rowing. Keep rowing. So I say the seven-step prayer every morning as part of my daily disciplines. Step eight, uh, I came out of step five with a preliminary list. I had to clean this up in step eight, uh, make amends to everyone that I need to make amends to. Uh, remember that I'm doing this for me, not for them. Not putting expectations on people. Remember uh, forgiveness before I'm truly ready to sincerely make amends for the hurts I've inflicted, I must forgive those to whom I'm preparing to make amends. So um, their forgiveness was very big for me. Now I'll just mention that, you know, there are three places in the literature that tell me how to do this. Page 60 and 61 of the OA 12 and 12, three paragraphs that I believe are excellent on how to do it. And then, of course, in the big book, you've got page 67 and 552 that talk about forgiveness. So good, good, good ways to do this. It's a problem for lots of us. Step nine was accepting responsibility for myself, for what I've done, and learning to accept responsibility for what I do now. Uh, some points that, I, that are valuable for me in step nine. Remember... Uh, I'm doing this for, for me and not for them. Remember, no expectations, as I said before. Uh, also, on page 64 in the OA 12 and 12, it reminds me that the person to whom I'm making amends doesn't necessarily owe me forgiveness or anything else for that matter. So no expectations. Uh, page 65 reminds me I'm here to clean off my side of the street, not take their inventory. Uh, 
real easy to slip into that. On 79, I'm reminded, this is the OA 12 and 12, I'm reminded that I make amends for my actions, not my feelings, to go to someone and say, I'm sorry, I've disliked you all these years, is inappropriate and will only inflict pain. One last point on eight and nine from my experience, never, never, never do steps eight and nine without an experienced sponsor. You can end up doing all kinds of harm, much more harm than, than good. Let me uh, just kind of summarize some of the things that happened to me as a result of these action steps. Uh, some of the things that helped transform me into a new, new, new person, new ways of dealing with life, coping mechanisms, as I think was referenced before. One, I take responsibility, no more blaming others or circumstances, no more self-pity, no more victim, no more whining. I do a gratitude list every morning as part of my daily disciplines. I've let go of the self-sufficiency ideal. No man is an island. I've stopped my master planning for the world, began accepting my powerlessness to control much of anything other than myself. I've moved from anger and resentment to acceptance of what is, from hatred to forgiveness. I've moved from a perfectionism ideal to a good enough, it's the best I can do. I've moved from numbness to feeling. I took down that wall that I was hiding for behind. Perhaps the most life-changing has been the move from a mindset of getting to a mindset of giving. How can I be of use? How can I be of service to still suffering compulsive eaters? How can I be of service to my spouse, to my kids, to my grandkids? Usefulness at this stage of my life is the objective. So let me just finishing up. I can see Carmen about to put her hand up there. Finishing up by saying, I base my life today on love and service, to use Dr. Bob's phrase. Love as manifested in patience, tolerance, kindness, acceptance, forgiveness, understanding. Service as manifested in sharing my experience, strength, and hope with still suffering compulsive overeaters and doing whatever I can to keep OA healthy. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you so very much. We will now open the floor for a question and answer session. Please type your question into the Q&A function, not the chat. The moderator will read out the questions to the speakers and the speakers will have time for brief answers. Please set the time for two minutes. Um, I only have a small problem. Where are the question things? Debbie, they should be at the bottom with uh, where you see your microphone and your camera. Okay. We don't have any questions yet. So let's There's have no questions. Some, oh, let's, okay. Uh, so maybe that's why I don't see anything. Let's ask some people to ask some questions using the Q&A box. I found the Q&A box. No questions. You explained it all. Hey. Don, we did it. <laughs> I, I guess, Barbara, we could just go home. And we could have a conversation now. if you guys don't want to. And never do this again? <laughs> no graduation. No, not at all. Okay, and, I have a question. Uh, awesome. How do you change your thinking about depression and anxiety? How do you apply the steps to this? Okay, I guess I can start with that. Thank you for the question. Um, so I have anxiety and I have a diagnosed anxiety disorder and I take medication for that. And for a long time in the program, I thought that if I just prayed enough and meditated enough and worked the steps enough, that that would go away. And I, so I have come to see that there are some things and the big book talks about this, about that we need medical professionals. There are some things that are actually biochemical that I am not gonna fix with spiritual tools and I need other tools. Um, now that's not true for everyone, but that's true in my experience. So for me, it was a process of accepting that this was something that was not fixable with the steps and to go to professionals and to get the professional help that I needed to take care of it. Um, so the step work was coming to the acceptance of this is who I am, this is what I have, you know, 
I'm a nervous kind of person and that I can grow a lot within that. I can moderate my fears, but I will have this kind of chemical anxiety and I just work with it. Let me take a stab at that one, Debbie, because this is this is uh, key key to my recovery and holding on to recovery. I've suffered from depression my entire life, and so uh, this is this is my a worksheet that I have in front of me every morning when I sit down to do my daily disciplines. I call them my reading, writing, etc. So this is a worksheet, and right here in the worksheet, right in the middle, there's a box box that says depression. It says, "What's God telling me to do with my depression?" question mark. And here's what I do. These are all the things that I have constantly remind me that help keep that depression at bay. It's just like the disease almost. It's keeping it arrested. Read, write, pray, meditate, do gratitude lists every day, do affirmations. I'm very big on affirmations. I have probably in this little worksheet 150 affirmations. Exercise is important for me. Uh, seven hours of sleep, be useful to others, never stop exploring, just doing new things, produce product, that's important for me to keep doing things, turn out things, and find something to get excited about. So those are, all, those are my medications that have been okay for me so far through the years, but I have to work on this all the time. I have to keep busy. I have to do these things. I have to keep an attitude, a positive attitude. I wake up in the morning very often, very, very low, very much in the darkness, very sad, very depressed. Melancholy seems to be my base point. By the time I finish my morning readings, writings, affirmations, which usually I take 45 minutes for, I'm totally a different person. I'm ready to hit the day and be productive and useful. So I have to work on it constantly. I learned it all here in the 12 steps. Thanks. Thank you. There's a bunch of questions that are all the same. I was asked if you both would put your information, your contact information in the chat box. And Don, if you would also please put the big book pages in the chat box. The repeat the pages on forgiveness and the big book and the 12 and 12. Thank you. Um, we're not going to talk those out loud. You only put your information into the chat box. Um, Oh, here's a good one. How do we move past fear of others' reactions to step nine? Uh, well, uh, Don here still. Um, by the time I got to step nine, I had done a lot of changing. And I had also learned that there's a quote, I didn't say it, I think I had it written down in my notes someplace, that we can be willing to do things that we don't want to do. Well, do it anyway. I have to do it. I must do it. We, the book is very clear. If we don't clean out this stuff and get rid of this stuff, we're not going to have any sustained abstinence. We're not going to be able to hold on to recovery. So I was nervous about some of my ninth steps, but I did it anyway. So... Uh, that was part of the, the fear thing. Deep breath, wait in and do it anyway. And of course, and that, and that was the early days. Today, I would rely much more on the higher power and ask God to help me do these things. So I practice faith a lot more today uh, that would help me do something like that that I was afraid of. But in the beginning, just do it. I know that I'm okay. I'm cleaning off my side of the street. No expectations on them. They could tell me to go screw myself, or they could tell me to go to hell, or they could welcome me with open arms. Whatever happens, happens. I'm doing it for me. Thank you. A question for Barbara. Mm -hmm. Would you please elaborate on why your sponsor didn't feel comfortable hearing your fifth step and how you dealt with it and it related to and your feelings? I have no idea. <laughs> Frankly, <laughs> I have okay. no idea. And I honestly, I mean, we're talking uh, 44 years ago or something. So I, I don't even remember if there was a conversation at the time. Um, I think I was just shocked and kind of left there. And 
you know, she, she turned out, I, you know, she, she relapsed. I don't think too much later than that ended up leaving the program. So that might've contributed to it. Um, what I didn't say when I shared that the reason I thought that this turned out to be a blessing is I, I just, I realized after the fact that unconsciously I had done some writing to please her that I knew kind of the things she liked to hear when I called that made her say, oh good, you're being really honest or this, that, or the other thing. And that there was a certain bent in that direction in what I wrote. And by her doing that to me and having to have someone else hear the fifth, I gave it to someone who I didn't have any idea of what her reaction would be. And so it was a much honest, cleaner for me, fifth step. And the rest, I have no clue. <laughs> I have done a version of steps four and five and find that I am feeling numb and struggling with my feelings. Did you get to the point that you are able to get in touch with your fears, your resentments, and your feelings? That's the I mean, I'll say that very quickly for me, yes, and it took years, you know, and it's an ongoing process. And even sometimes now, and I'm pretty adept at recognizing my feelings, I have sometimes when I'm overwhelmed by them and I, you know, have to go to somebody else and say, this is going on, help me figure out why I'm just feeling uncentered. And usually in talking, I, you know, or sometimes writing can get to it for me, but sometimes writing doesn't. So either talking to someone or writing can sometimes help me identify with what's really going on. And, but I can recognize that when I just feel unsettled and ungrounded and I think something's going on here, I'm feeling something, I don't quite know what it is. Don? I'll add the, uh, yeah, the great thing about this program, it doesn't say all this crap will be taken away. It, what it does is teaches me how to deal with life, right? I used to deal with life with the eating and the drinking and the whatever, whatever. Now I know how to deal with it. So I don't have to turn to the food because I feel frustrated or whatever the feelings are. I don't deal with feelings with food anymore or alcohol or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, so the answer is absolutely yes. We learn to. We keep practicing it over and over. We learn new habits and new ways of looking at life. That's what the program is about. We have a fellowship of people around us to talk to, to help us. When I don't know what to do, I turn to an OA and say, I'm frustrated. And then they say, what step applies, Don? And I say, oh, crap. Oh, yeah, steps. Let's see. Third step, does that apply? Oh, yeah. I can't control the world. Oh, well. So that's what we have this fellowship for, to help each other. We get through it, and we learn how to do it yep. without eating. The question I like to ask people, too, is where's your higher power in this? <laughs> <laughs> that usually stops them, too. I have another question. Do you recommend that only when you finish working the 12, all 12 steps, do you consider being ready to be a sponsor? <laughs> I was told you could sponsor somebody who's one day behind you. If you've got two days, you can help them get through day one. You know, you can't sponsor past the limit of your own experience, but you can start sharing it from wherever you are. In the old days, it was 21 days. Guess what? 21 days uh, uh, of abstinence and th working three. You've done the th first three steps. You're, you're a sponsor. In the old days, we had step-up ceremonies. You've completed the first three. You're abstinent, 30 days. Congratulations. Go to the front of the room, be addressed, uh, uh, introduced as a sponsor, and say, I'm available. And, of course, you're scared to death. But that's part of the growth process. Diving in to try to help people from the earliest part. And the key phrase, uh, Barbara just said it, as I sponsor as far as I am in the program. If I haven't done a fourth step yet, I'm sponsoring through the first three. Right. If I haven't got to eight and nine, I'm sponsoring through the first seven, etc. That's the way that I learned. And that's still what I do with sponsees is, look, you're ahead of that newcomer. Yes, you've only been here six months. And yes, you have a long way to go. But look where you are now compared to where you were. Think where you were that first day you walked in that room. You were scared to death, totally confused, knew nothing. Well, compare yourself now after six months where you were. 
you've got a lot to give to that newcomer. Right. One of the newcomer meetings this morning, I had somebody in there that just had nine months of abstinence, just in the middle of the step someplace. That can be more inspiring to a newcomer than somebody like Barbara and I with a half a century of experience, right? Absolutely. And it's greener for somebody when you're newer. You know, when I try to work with a beginner, you know, I'm dredging up in, you know, experiences that are 46 years old. You know, they're not, I try to keep them green, but they're not fresh like they are for somebody with a year who's just really newly aware of the, and so grateful for the miracle of their recovery. It's a very powerful thing to sponsor somebody when you're newer. And also, we have so many groups where people want sponsors and no one's available. So, cause they're waiting for some magic day to be able to do it. I have a, a bunch of questions here that are pretty similar. I'm also writing the answer to one right here. Um, how did you get started on the fourth? Because it seems overwhelming. And how many step eight nines have you done? That's, that combines about four or five questions into one. One question at a time on four. And do a lot of ways. You could just follow the instructions in the big book and go for the resentments. Or you can go to the latest OA 12 and 12, which has 101 questions in it, and start with the very first question. It's a little like the first bite, right? Start with the first question and write, congratulations, you've started. It's always harder starting. Once you start, you go. The momentum is there. It's always the hardest part starting. And remember, what I've been taught is if you're having trouble on a particular step like four, it means you probably haven't fully taken the preceding step. So if I have somebody that's afraid to do four, we better back up and look at steps three. Have they really made up their mind? Have they really committed to doing this? Is that surrendering to the program, surrendering to the rest of the steps? If you haven't quite done that, then of course you're not going to do four. So back up to the preceding is, is what I always look for. Yeah. I don't I know about Barbara. She's shaking her head in the right direction, I think. Yeah, well, I did on all of that. So the <laughs> only thing I would add is to have a sponsor. And, you know, if you're really getting stuck, ask your sponsor what to do and follow their suggestion. So they will either give you a format for doing it. If that doesn't work, just say, I'm getting nowhere with this. You know, I shared it in my talk about the really odd way that I did my first fourth step because my sponsor stepped in and sort of bailed me out when she saw how, how stuck I was. Yeah. So, And I think we made this point between the both of us. There's no one right way. There are many, many ways to do this. Work with your sponsor and your sponsor will help you Get, figure out a way that's best for you and get started. You cannot do it on your own. Never do it on your own. It doesn't work. You only go backwards. Yep. I have one more, and only because we're getting to the end, but I really would like to go through this last one. Don, thank you for sharing your experience. Um, can you please share regarding the dealing with limitations, practicing your limitations now and practicing the disciplines you have shared? My limitations? Mm -hmm. I don't think any, I don't particularly think of any limita uh, emotional uh, limitations or spiritual limitations on any of the physical. stuff that I shared. My limitations today are the physical, right? I'm now handicapped and can't walk, and I am in chronic pain all the time. If I stand up, I'm in chronic pain, 10 level pain, and I don't take drugs for that. Those are my challenges today. <laughs> Right? And that's why that thing on the, on the shelf behind me that says life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. And I have learned to dance in the rain. I am doing that every day. And somebody, a couple of people said, Don, would you please put your contact information? Into I did. The, okay, thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you so very much. You guys, always an inspiration of hope and experience and strength and dancing in the storm and learning to dance in the rain. Thank you so much. I got so much out of it. Everyone else did too. Uh, I wish we could go on, but we do have to close. Take a deep breath in, let it out. Thank you for everyone who did service here today. 
if nobody told you yet today they love you, God loves you, and so do I. God, God grant me the serenity, serenity to, accept to accept the things, things I cannot I change, change, the courage to change, change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That will be done. Thank you guys so very much.